Welcome back to another Ag Watchers uh, with myself, Andrew Whitelaw and Matt Dalglish, or Wheat Watcher and Meat Watcher. So we've got a guest from the other side of the world. We've got Nathaniel O'Hare from, from Western Australia, from Prosper Agri. He's a, a consultant in grain marketing and, and farm business management and just general general advice because he's a you know a paragon of wisdom and knowledge. Nathaniel, how's it going? Well thanks Andrew. G'day Matt. G'day mate. Um, Jack, of back. Jack of all trades. <laughs> well, you've got to be these days, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like like Matt and I, we're we're just generalists. We're, but we're basically we're not good at anything. Mm. So so we thought today the idea was that we get Nathaniel on to talk about what's happening in, in the West. And then over the next couple of weeks, we'll get a few people in from different parts of the country, see what's happening in their neck of the woods. <clears throat> so Nathaniel, probably, probably close to the end of harvest nearly, or the midway point. Look, on the, on the CBH deliveries versus ABARES or GUWAS crop estimates, uh, we're probably at least two thirds of the way through, maybe three quarters. So yeah, it's, Harvest has progressed well in the last two weeks after um, some really ordinary weather. So harvest started really early over here. Uh, then we had a couple of rain delays and then the last sort of 10 to 15 days, growers have been back into us. Um, and the, the deliveries have doubled or more than doubled in, um, in the past sort of two weeks. So what, what are we at just now then in terms of deliveries? Uh, as of yesterday, CBH for 8.8 million tonnes in the system. All, that's all grains, obviously. Yes. Yeah. So that's so you can pretty much say that, like in WA, for those listening overseas and, and even in the East Coast, CBH basically store nearly all of the crop, pretty much. There's, there's not a huge amount left that wouldn't be in CBH, really. Look, I suppose... You but Buggy have a, have a big piece of the action or a, quite a big piece of the action these days with two upcountry sites and a, a bit of port storage. But yeah, obviously CBH would be holding, holds the vast majority of grain. And what's, so that, we did have, like we had rainfall in, in October, which would have been absolutely ideal rainfall to have had in September. But what's that doing to the quality? Are you, are you seeing anything? <laughs> No, that, that I still, I mean, across the board, um, my clients are running at about 30 to 40% of their malt barley is achieving malt quality. So that's a pretty good indicator that the post maturity rainfall or post crop maturity rainfall hasn't impacted quality too much. The only complaint I've heard so far is that there's a, there's a few mouldy oats making their way into the system. Yeah. But, but the big one, I suppose, over here will be falling numbers in milling wheats and um, there's been a lot of banter about testing uh, ramping up but I haven't had any clients have falling numbers problems just yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, so a lot of barley is going malt. I think last time we spoke there wasn't a huge premium for malt at that time back in sort of September August when we were talking about malt wasn't on the podcast, but what's the premiums like for malt just now? Is it ticking along or are they still sort of fairly narrow to feed? No, very, that, 
the, the spreads have improved um, compared to where they were when we last spoke. We're still only talking ten dollars for, yeah, yeah. for the more desirable varieties of malt. So basically, it's if there's a screen, if there's a screenings issue that's keeping you out of malt, it's not economic. Not worthwhile. Not, it's not viable to, to <coughs> clean the crop, clean the grain. That's for sure. What is the what is the preferred malt at the moment over there? Because when I was living in WA, that was at the time when it was Bodan, oh. which is which is way out of the picture now. I reckon, isn't it? Look, the, I'm not a maltster, but I, so I'm not. I suppose the maltsters generally like the older varieties that they've become accustomed to over a long period of time, aren't they? So, but but, but I suppose. But, but, they, that, but they don't want to pay for the premium to get it. No. <laughs> No, that's right. Um, but across my client base, Spartacus, which is the emi-tolerant variety, and Planet probably own the most hectares, and Planet tra- attracts a slightly better, or is attracting a slightly better premium than Spartacus. Spartacus is effectively well, plus three, plus four, plus five at the moment. So, um, so it's really a premium. So it's kind of... If you get it there, it's worthwhile taking the premium, but it's not worthwhile working towards that premium. It's just it's just it's, cream cream on top, as, as some would say. Yeah, there's no there's no reason to um, truck it any further to a site that might have a seg. Yeah. Um, no no premium to to clean the ground, that's for sure. So if they've so going back to CBH's figures, eight point eight million tons delivered, yeah. So that would that would be more than halfway through there, through the ABR's expected figures, give or take. So that yeah. would that would that would say, geez, we're probably going to be finished by the new year, most likely, well, for, for the most part. Absolutely, I don't think there'll be. I think the, the, the deliveries will really wind down in the next ten to twelve days, ten to fifteen days, to be honest. I mean, only the bottom end of the Albany port zone, I'd imagine, would be having much harvest to do post-Christmas. So, so going on to that, we've had a lot of the discussions in, in, in recent times have been you know, really about China. There's been so much conversation about China. And you know, one of those big commodities that is obviously hit at the moment is, is barley. And what, what are we seeing with prices? Like, in, in, I know in WA, we had obviously a massive fall in prices when the, when the tariff was announced. Uh, and, and prices have rebounded somewhat since then. Uh, but bearing in mind, we're obviously having a big production year nationally. Um, what are the prices like from a grower's point of view? Are, are, are growers happy with the pricing levels they've got just now? Or is it you know, just a case of uh, it is what it is? I think, uh, well, I suppose that's a that's a, a question relative to uh, the most recent market signals or market stimulus, isn't it? So I suppose in the context of what uh, prices were around the end of planting, uh, these are great prices. <laughs> yeah. um, in the context of uh, no East Coast drought influence on our barley pricing, this is okay above average pricing um, so i think look across my client base everyone's harvesting a little bit more to from anywhere from a little bit more to a lot more than they forecast 
pre-selling, so when we're doing budgets at the start of the year. So to be selling an above average yield with a slightly above average price of 260, 270, even if you dip down to 250, there is an acceptable amount of profit on the table. So from mm. a risk profitability point of view or a risk management point of view, you can take profit off the table today. So I think by and large, the average WA grower should be happy, happy-ish. Um, so, I mean, we always want more, don't we? But Yeah, yeah. We're... Uh... Where you guys are experts in this thing, so you're saying 260 to 70 current kind of price. Where would you have a guess that prices would have been had we not had the issues with China? Just a ballpark figure. Well, that's it's an int- like that's a good question because it's all a bit hypothetical. Would have, hmm. could have, should have been. I guess would have, would have, well, would have it, would have a three in front of it. We would have thought. Uh, well, I guess the way I sort of look at it, and Nathaniel might be able to correct me is that you know when you've got that uh, you've got a lot of barley going from from France into into China which is a considerable it's a 20 dollar disc is it sorry start again from France to China is about 15 to 17 dollars more expensive just on freight and their price for feed barley in Rouen I might have pronounced that wrong is because um, my French standard grades from high school have lost me, but they're about $20 on top of our pricing as well. So I reckon if, if, they, if China was to buy from us at the same levels they're currently buying from France, <clears throat> it's about, about 40 Aussie dollars. On top of the current price. On top of the current price. Yeah. But again, it comes by the hypotheticals. You know, would the price be $40 a ton more if China had a more a less limited marketplace? Probably not. Mm. Might be twenty dollars. Mm. I don't. I don't know, Nathaniel. What do you think? I think you've hit the nail on the head. I don't think. Um, I think I, I saw a chart kicking around in the Twitter sphere late last week, uh, just showing where the French pricing is in, in Aussie dollars uh, CNF into China, and it looked like we're missing out on this. Uh, 40 to 40 odd dollars, 50 dollars potentially per ton. Um, but you, you make a good point if there was <laughs> economics 101, greater supply uh, or greater opportunity to, to acquire from other origins, i.e., East Coast of Australia, um, I, I, I doubt that the East Coast grower would be picking up the full 40, or West, the Australian grower would be picking up the full 40 dollars. Uh, probably. I reckon it'd be that twenty dollars, twenty to forty dollars. But but again, who knows? Because we, it's a bit like saying, when people ask the question, was deregulation good or bad for Australian prices on wheat? <laughs> well, we don't know because we can't run the two of them uh, yeah. alongside one another. Yeah. We can only infer. I, w- I wonder the chart you saw on the Twitter sphere, Nathaniel, uh, if that was from those bloody fabulous TM guys, might have been. I think so. I'm not sure. Maybe it was. Never, never heard of them. No. <laughs> I think um, also. No, you're. I was going to say they're a bunch of hacks. I've heard so. I'll be paying any attention to what they put out. No, no, definitely not. Especially, especially stuff on meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I also think that it would. 
hypothetically, if the, West, if the Australian grower found out this afternoon that China was back buying Australian feed barley, whether we collectively would be happy to sell the rest of the crop at another $10 more than we're getting today, or whether we'd sit, we'd diligently sit back and try and grab more of that hypothetical $40 that's on the table. I think it, I think uh, $10 to $15 worth of um, upside at the moment would probably prior a, a large chunk of the crop out, wouldn't it? And I suppose, well, like I said, one of the things that is, a lot of people in the East Coast probably don't understand it, but in WA, if you put grain into CBH, you don't pay any storage until October or September. Is that right? September. So you got you got a fairly long period of time which you can which you're only effectively losing out on interest. You're not paying storage costs to price your grain, which is an advantage that on the East Coast they just don't have. You're paying something every every month on top of your interest. So I suppose that's it does give an option for growers. You know, once they've once they've got the cash in to cover fuel and fat and chemicals and whatever all the bills and two weeks down in you know uh, the Margaret River Bustleton area, you know once once they've done that and paid for all that, they can actually hold a bit and it doesn't cost anyone near as much as it does in Victoria or or New South Wales. That's right. It is a luxury, but. Um... <clears throat> Without starting a political argument, a political argument um, <laughs> or a philosophical argument, why maybe maybe the West Australian grower pays a little bit more in receivable fees. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and and the reality is, if you look at the actual figures of grain sold in WA, like I remember from my time when I was over there, the bulk of the crop was sold by growers by the end of February anyway. So they don't actually get any of that advantage because no one really uses it. But in terms of, like just to summarize the, I wanted to go into a few other ones and give you a few curly questions because I know you're organized. But the, in terms of like the actual overall crop, like considering, considering that it's not been a particularly great growing season in terms of its rainfall, and early on it wasn't particularly flash, What's the sentiment that it's a general sentiment for what we've had? This is pretty good. Oh, look, it's yes, yes, absolutely. But that's the that's the key theme to this crop this year is um, we've had the most efficient rainfall timing you could ask for. So, therefore, we have <coughs> record breaking water use efficiency results, which is why we people are shocked to be getting the grain they're getting, why the estimates have been all over the shop. Um, not all over the shop, that's probably putting being a bit harsh. Um, but yeah, look, a number of clients that we're, we're, we've run water use efficiency numbers on barley and canola and wheat are getting best ever results. So in terms of converting the rainfall they get, they, they received into grain. Uh, so there's a lot of, a lot of estimates that I had on paper in October that are now laughable. <laughs> so, especially on 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 canola, yeah. um, people, a lot of canola crops were all but written off, and you know, what people thought was going to be 0.5 or 0.7 is coming at 1.2 or 1.3, um, and that's not typical across the board. But there's there's other you know down the down the southwest is. Uh, Businesses that budget for sort of high ones, low twos for canola and coming in two and a half to three. 
So there's, the crop grew uh, in terms of people's perception very quickly over, say, a two or three-week period. But I think we've sort of realised it all now. We sort of understand the market has an understanding of what's out there. Um, obviously, if you've got an extra half a tonne of the hectare of canola, you're probably a seller at these prices. If you aren't, much we need to read a few TEM tweets your head around what's a good relative price. I wouldn't bother with those tweets. <laughs> the, uh, so, but the other thing is, and this is probably where, where Matt can jump in because he's been oddly quiet, uh, which is just not... Listening, just listening to the, you know, some of the best in the business uh, talk barley and canola and you know, grain. It, I was just in awe, pretty much. Well, you know, you're, you're, you're a very lucky man, Matthew. You know, to, to, to get Nathaniel on the, on the line here, to, to have him at a stand-up desk, you know, not, not sitting down, lounging back like us. Um, but in terms of, this is where you can come in, Matt. Mm. I guess we've had, again, a season where the rainfalls hit at the right times for the crop. But we've also seen, or, or we have been hearing, and I don't follow meat as much as, as, much as you fo- like to follow meat. Mm-hmm is that uh, we've had a lot of sheep coming across to the East yep. Coast because of the fact that the pasture's not that good. That's right. Yeah, I, I just um, ran the Bureau of Meteorology rainfall deficiencies map for the last, I think it was three months. And, you know, the big contrast to um, last season, you know, New South Wales, Queensland was just looking horrible. It was widespread, whereas all that's now turned around to being pretty much white. Uh, so that means no deficiency. And really the only area of note on the whole of the country is uh, that little southwestern pocket of WA is, is suffering with deficiencies, which uh, from a livestock perspective, um, you know, obviously a good time for harvest with no rain, but um, heading into the summer. Uh, and for some of the temperatures we've started to see, not just, I guess, on the west coast, but on the east coast, um, heading into a summer and high temperatures and whatnot and to have, you know, serious deficiencies already is um, not great for your livestock producer and you know, we're seeing um, significant numbers go across the Nullarbor already. Um, yeah, and, and then you've got, you know, obviously the ongoing hassles around LiveX, which is particularly um, troublesome for WA uh, sheep producers. But now just uh, overnight, we've seen this whole um, fiasco blight with uh, the Kutaris and, um, and our boxed lamb export product. Um, you know, that was one of the, the big saviours, the animal rights people and those that are anti-LiveX were saying, oh, well, we, can, we don't need to worry about LiveX. We can just switch across to Box. And here you've got the third biggest customer of Australian lamb exports now um, starting to shun us. Bit of a worry. Does that, just, just on the Qatari market, Matt, is that a, from my understanding, that's a sort of 16 to 19 kilo market? So Yeah, yeah, yeah the light, lighter lamb. Yep, correct. So for a West Australian grower that, you know, uh, you know, 18 kilos is the is the target really in, yep. in terms of finishing lambs through summer from an efficiency point of view, cost efficiency. Yep. yep. Um, that's a that's a big that's a big uh, a big hit. Yeah, it is. Yep. So you got to double. I mean, it's, it's there's some East Coast players as well that are starting to be concerned about it. But from a Western perspective, you've got you know the double whammy of um, you know issues around this long moratorium time that you have through the, through the Northern Hemisphere summer, which the Q80s have been fairly vocal in being not very impressed with the lack of reliability of supply 
from the live side. And then you've got Qatar, which was a growing market for, I mean, they take live sheep as well, of course, but um, it was a growing market for a box product. And, and if you're not totally aware of the circumstance, um, just, just to quickly recap, um, so 2015, the Qatari government put in place an import subsidy program where they were encouraging the importation of Australian boxed lamb um, and, and subsidising it, obviously, um, through their importers. So assisting with the price competitiveness of getting it in. And we saw back then Qatar was about 4% of our total exports of lamb. And that was in 2014. And so when they put it in, in 2015, we increased to about 6% and then subsequently grew every year since then. So just this year, we were running at 7.5% of our uh, lamb boxed exports in total were going to Qatar. So they went from fourth spot last year to third spot in terms of destination. So they're just behind the USA in second and and then China at number one. Um, so, you know, we're talking a big customer here. Um, and, you know, they basically said that um, this program was meant to run through to 2023. And they've just come out and said, oh, no, we're, we're going to finish at the end of this year. So, you know, um, three years early, effectively. Um, there's not really been any official word as to why they're shutting it, but the suggestions uh, you know, around the traps and from the you know, kind of players within that side of the side of the market are saying that um, uh, a little bit of political dip- diplomatic um, issues there around uh, what what went down. You know, the airport search of, um, of the women where that baby that there was a newborn baby discovered in the Qatari airport, and then there was you know fairly invasive searches of a range of citizens, of, including some Australian women. Um, and then there were some obviously political statements made and, and it sounds like someone in Qatar or, or, or somewhere at the levels of Qatari um, government have got annoyed by the comments that were made and, and this has been the outcome that they've decided to no longer favour Australian land. It seems that we don't have a particularly, <laughs> we don't have a particularly good sort of uh, reputation at the moment in terms of getting our agricultural products into different major customers. Like we, I was just thinking when you were talking there, we've got lentils, peas, lamb into, uh, into India, sorry, lamb into Qatar. We've got barley, wine, timber into China. Lobster, beef. Lobster and beef are not, they're, they're subject to sort of non-tariff barriers. Um, and you sort of start to think, geez, we're sort of losing or not losing, but we're at risk of losing some of our big customers. Mm. Which is it's crazy. one of those things though. I mean, from a moral, from a, if you talk about like the circumstance of what happened to those women in the airport was, you know, pretty reprehensive, uh, reprehensible, I should say, um, you know, and, and we, I think as a government, you've got to stand up to protect your citizens, but you've also got to do it in a manner that's, um, sensitive to you know cultural and and diplomatic ties and trade ties and you know same as the stuff that's been said you know and and, and the frustrations uh, some of the things that you know i'm going with the chinese australian relationship too they're probably things that need to be said but um you know and the animal welfare side for, for i guess the uh, for the Canadian guys you know saying well you know we go in in the live export space and we we bring in some really um high levels of standards that we insist upon, which is, I think, a good thing that we do that as a country and as an industry, but it's got to be done sensitively. Um, and, you know, you, yes, you've got to stand up for what you believe to be the right way to behave, whether it's women's rights or animal welfare or, you know, um, diplomacy or, you know, whatever political kind of agenda you're pushing. 
But if you go in all guns blazing, gung-ho, and you make an embarrassment of yourself and, and, and get noses out of joint because of how you've approached it, um, don't, don't expect you're not going to have some trade implications for it, I guess, is the lesson for us, you know? And the, the, it has to be an attitude change, doesn't it? Because we're seeing DFATS funding um, get, uh, well, it's being reduced. So I suppose if you haven't got the money to throw around, you're going to have to do it, do your diplomacy a bit more politely. Mm. Good manners are free. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, good point, Nathaniel. But it's, it just seems like, it seems 2020 has just been a real, I was going to use a swear word there, but it's been a real mess for, for trade. Like you've got COVID and then you've got like the phase one deal between the U S and China, which is causing China to preference the U S. And I still think that's one of the big drivers, if not, maybe not hundred percent behind a lot of these trade scuffles with, with Australia, but I think a part of the decision-making around stopping you Australian products is from um, the requirement to meet that phase one deal. And I think the next, like 2021 could be just as bad. That's all right. My concern is Andrew, I think we've discussed this both privately and I can't remember now if we said it on a, podcast last week as well but my real i've got this growing feeling of dread that that um australia's you know from a chinese perspective that australia is going to be left out hanging and and maybe be made an example of that if you you know from a chinese perspective like they're our biggest um trade partner by a long stretch you know when you look across all not just ag commodities but others but from a Chinese perspective, I think we sit somewhere like 12th or 14th or something in terms of, you know, product that goes into China from other countries. So, you know, there's a lot of things they take from us that they like to take and the Chinese consumer does favour some or used to favour some of our product. Um, but we're not as important as, you know, we're not as important to them as they are to us. Oh, and, absolutely. And, you know, they could leave us, they could leave us out hanging as an example. And this little upstart, you know, trying to tell us about, how we're going to, you know, do certain things. And, and um, yeah, my, my concern is that um, if they want to continue to go down that phase one path, even though Trump administration is looking like it's out, um, there could be a whole new reset with America and Australia is not part of it. And, um, and we just be made an example of, you know, this is what happens when you cross the, uh, cross the dragon the wrong way. And, you know, we'll be some kind of a, a flaming mess. Yeah, so well... Grab, grab a dragon duck by the tail and they'll bite you. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see, see how it plays out. And not, to, not to add more negativity to the sentiment, but we haven't even addressed currency risk. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll leave that to Trent. Do you know anyone that knows anything about currency? I, I, I know one guy who thinks he knows about currency. <laughs> And um, <laughs> maybe we should do an advert for him. H- Hello, this is uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is our favourite sponsor, uh, Western Union. Blah 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 blah. Only joking. We don't have any sponsors because this is a hobby podcast. But, uh, but yeah, like the currency thing is another issue. Like you know, what are we at just now? We're close to seventy-four cents. Seventy-three and a half. Seventy-three and a half. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I can go, I can put my currency hat on if you like, Andrew. I, I did uh, do it for you know many years. You've got. 
25 seconds because otherwise you've gone for ages about it. <laughs> um, I think there's a definite, um, from an from a exporter perspective, there's a definite risk that we're going to continue to see the currency appreciate. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I think we've seen this on a previous podcast with Trent that, um, you know, we could have an eight in front of it um, towards the end of next year. Um, I think that's very feasible. Um, yeah, so from an from a exporter's perspective, I think there's more risk to the top side than the downside for the Australian dollar. 24 seconds. Oh, Perfect. There you go. There you that'll, go. that'll do. That's enough, more than enough, because uh, we've spoken enough about that recently. So, Nathaniel, I guess that's us coming to the end of it, end of this, this conversation. Anything else to add or anything else that's happening in the West that us uh, East Coast-centric Melbourneites should know about? In a, no. uh, look, I think, I suppose, the key, the key things that are keeping me busy at the moment is the fact that basis for canola and wheat is coming off. Well, grains are under pressure in general from a growing crop over here. Or prices are under a bit of pressure from a growing crop over here. And also um, Chicago's bouncing around a bit, which makes the wheat thing a bit difficult to manage. But um, prices are still good, still profitable. And um, the, the farms, farms that lock land sales, so uh, just seem to keep rolling on. We've had a phenomenal season, selling season for rural land, which sort of kicked off in, well, it's been going for pretty aggressively for the last two years but really ramped up in june july this year and still doing work around farm purchases now which is a bit unusual we normally get farm sales all wrapped up by the end of the spring um, it is so um, but it does seem like i know it's like you're talking about western australia but it does seem even on the east coast that the demand for good land is just insatiable like it doesn't last long no, it's, 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 I mean, uh, interesting slash a little bit scary, <laughs> to, to be honest. Um, returns, returns are being shrunk pretty quickly based on revaluation of assets. So that, that's probably not the other thing to, to keep an eye on here, although it's worth keeping an eye on here, here for the next sort of 12 to 18 months is where, where it all sort of finishes up. Because I'm, you know, we're seeing valuations up 30 or 40%. 12 months in some areas which is which is some areas is warranted obviously productivity has, has really ramped up because of changes in technology um, changes in management all the usual drivers of productivity growth um, but it's, but, ha it's hard to think that it can continue at those sort of levels <clears throat> and you know you, you look at any market and if it rises that sort of level there's usually a bit of a correction but bland tends to have a, sometimes has a small correction, but then it starts up again. Like if you look historically, it doesn't really drop all that much. In WA, or I suppose in, in theory across the board, obviously you can see um, upward trends and then some plateaus across the across the the, the, the history across the history of land sales. But um, yeah. Uh, it'd be interesting to see where we are in 12 months in terms of the inflow of external capital, mm. um, especially with this with the currency potentially moving what's, around a bit. What's the in terms of like the, the the property purchases that you're seeing over there? Are most of them, 
you reckon being done, you know, by other other farmers or is there, I know there's been some big purchases in the last couple of years, like the uh, the what do you call it, John Nicoletti's place by Qataris, I think as well. Oh, Saudi. 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 Next country along. But when, uh, but are these purchases at the moment you're seeing this year, are they more like family to family farms type thing or a bit more investment money? Well, my business is almost 100% exposed to family businesses. So almost 100% of the transactions I might say are family businesses to family business. but it's, my perception is, which may not be 100%, the, the, bigger, the bigger corporates that were quite aggressive or have been quite aggressive over the last 10 to, 5 to 10 years haven't been as aggressive and maybe that's a signal that they're not, matching the, not reaching the return hurdles that they, they desire or they're mandated to, to achieve. So that's why I say it would be interesting to see where the market goes over the next 12 months. Because yeah, like anecdotally, we heard that there was a lot of money coming in in March and April, which was when the Aussie dollar was at, you know, 55 cents or whatever. 55 and, and on its way up to 70. But if it's going up to 80, then it starts to be you know, a pretty different story. But mm. I, reckon, I reckon we'll probably leave it there, Nathaniel. We're sort of running out of time. We know you're a a busy man and you've got lots of stuff to do, middle of harvest, a lot of you know, nominations and uh, quality optimization and whatnot to do this this time of year. Uh, Thanks guys. So any, any, anything else to add before we go? Any any one liners? No, I'll keep the humor to you guys. <laughs> Anyway, thanks very much, Nathaniel, for uh, for coming along. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, share it with your uh, friends and family. If you don't like the podcast and you think that we're a bunch of twats, then share it with people you don't like. Put them yeah. through the misery. <laughs> so, so thanks very much for listening. For those who are harvesting, you know, clearly stay safe, and uh, hope Abears is wrong, and hopefully. Uh, you get even higher yields than they're anticipating. So Me thanks too. very much. Get your ladder. See if you've got nothing on. <laughs> <laughs> Stole that one from Matt. <laughs> See you when you've got nothing on, it is. See oh, you when you've got nothing on. I, I couldn't tell because of your accent. <laughs> right up. Catch All you right. there. Bye-bye.